Hey everybody, Caffeine Clinton here. Just a quick note that I did have a little bit of audio trouble with the volume department, mostly on my voice, because I didn't speak up loud enough. So I'm sorry if you have to kind of strain to hear me this episode. But trust me, it's worth it. Thanks. Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robinson. Normally, I review comics in the span of time it takes to take a relaxing coffee break. But today, I have the great honor to have a guest. Listeners, today I am joined by none other... I can't even talk. Listeners, today I am joined by none other than the great Carl Kiesel. Carl, it is a pleasure to have you here. Well, it's great to be be here with you, Clinton. Like, seriously, I, everybody, I just have to let you know that this is really a huge honor. Um, so pardon me if I fanboy during this interview a little bit, but Carl Kiesel has been a huge, huge influence on what I love in comics. So I must say thank you for that, Carl. Well, well, thank you, Clinton. That's, that's extremely flattering. It really touches me. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so uh, just get things started. When did you know you wanted to go into comics? Uh, from pretty early on, I, I mean, I, I think about when I was ten years old, I decided I, I wanted to be a cartoonist. That was a summer. Uh, that was a summer I really started reading comics. I know that for sure. My uh, my family took a cross country trip that summer, lasted uh, over a month, and uh, there was a lot of hours sitting in the car going from place to place. And uh, luckily at the time, gas stations all had spinner racks. And uh, that's what I started picking up to pass the time was, you know, and we were gone for a month and gas stations, they didn't like turn their stock over really fast. So in, in the course of a month, I got like three, I, at least three issues in a row of a lot of the Marvel comics, like three issues of X-Men, three issues of Fantastic Four. And so I got a feel for the 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 bigger scope of these comics and I, I really fell in love with them almost instantly and and you know very shortly after that I really decided I wanted to be a cartoonist and and with only minor detour detours here and there you know that's really been was my goal ever since that point okay and uh, how did you get started in the in the in the industry I can't boy this is one of those days where I just cannot talk how did you get started in the industry sir well, I uh, I went to the Joe Kubert School uh, for one year. Uh, I was I was I would have been in the second graduating class. I would have been in the same class that uh, John, that Ron Randall was in, and uh, the same. That's in fact where I met Ron and uh, Jan Dersima, Tom Mandrake, uh, another a, a whole bunch of really talented people. Uh, John Tottleman, uh, all of those were in that class, and uh, and the thing is, you know, I went from a small town high school where 
it was me and, and one other guy and we really we, we were really the artists of the school and uh and then i got you know and then i got into the cupid school and you know what there were a lot of people a lot better than me and and, and i have to say that was a real eye-opening experience and um I, I mean, uh, I, I remember to this day, before classes even began, this is this is what John Tottleben was doing before he took classes at the Kubert School. I saw John Tottleben sit down, probably the first time I ever met him. He sat down at his desk, took out a piece of paper, just took a pencil and made a very large, loose S shape. Just, that's it, on the paper. And then he put the pencil down and he picked up an inkbrush and he did this Frazetta-like dragon. And, and the only thing he had as a pencil was that S shape. And I think that was like the beginning of the point where I said, I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And actually, after a year, I, I left the Cupid School and I went to the Hartford Art School in Hartford, Connecticut. I still wanted to do art, but I thought, I, I just don't think I can compete with these guys. But um, at the Hartford Art School... Uh, all I was doing was cartooning, and, and, and you know, I, I tried to give up comics for a while, but then I go to a drugstore and I go, oh, what's what's happening in X Men, you know? And, and uh, by by the end of <clears throat> just a year, <clears throat> excuse me, at the Hartford Art School, I, I really decided cartooning was where my heart was, and and so that's where I really set my goals for. Excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and um, so I think it was in '81. I moved down to New York City after you know after I finished school. school um, roomed with uh, one of my college friends. He he was going to NYU Film School, and I roomed with him. And I got a job doing a production in a typesetting shop. And at night I would do samples, and I I would walk them into the DC or Marvel offices and drop them off with the receptionist. And and at some point in there, uh, Sal Amendola was running the DC New Talent Showcase, and he gave me a call. And he gave me a chance, and uh, there was no looking back ever since. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, as I've already said, I've been a fan of your work for quite some time, especially since ever reading. Yeah, excuse me. Especially since I first read Hawk and Dove. Oh, thanks. Uh, in fact, um, you know, thanks to you and Barbara's work on the title, uh, you know, Hank and Don kind of became some of my favorite characters to the point that my daughter's middle name is actually taken from Dove. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah. I'm, hello, I'm a nerd. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody knew that wait, before. Wait, wait. Do, do you mean her middle name is Dawn? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. You know, and 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 that's my sister's name. That's where that name came from. Aw, that is so cool. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's it's handy that it sounds kind of like Dove, Dove, Dawn, 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 mm-hmm. and Dawn. You know, Don Hall, Dawn Hall, Dawn. Well, she's not Hall, but, anyways. Yeah, we, we, we just – and my sister went to Georgetown University, which is why oh. we said Hawk and Dove at Georgetown University. You hear that, folks? Jeff Johns was not the first person to do it. <coughs> so so. Uh, have you seen the uh, live-action Titans? And if so, you know, powers and origin aside, what do you think of their versions of Hank and Dawn? I, I have not seen it. Uh, we don't get that streaming uh, channel service, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I've heard good things. I've heard very good things, but I have not seen it. I, I hear they're just kind of street vigilantes, that they don't have any uh, mystical or, or superpowers. Um, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad call with Hawk and Dove. They, they were never the most powerful characters around. Um, you know, and it does, does, I will say it does my heart good to know that uh, the female Dove seems to have, 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 have really cemented herself in the DC firmament. Um, you know, they've tried 
every iteration of Hawk and Dove, you know, two guys, two girls switching the, the genders around and, and, you know, it just keeps circling back to, uh, the, the Hank and Dawn, uh, pair. And, you know, so that does my heart good. And, uh, you know, the fact that I've heard at least that they were treated pretty well on that show, that does my heart good too. Okay, your bio mentions that you are, quote, an inexplicable, I'm sorry, you have an inexplicable fondness for minor, obscure characters no one else remembers. Yep, that's that's very true. I've always been attracted to the B and C string players, sometimes even the D and F, you know. Could you let us know who some of those characters are, just right offhand? Well, I mean... You know, I have written and drawn stories featuring the Newsboy Legion, who are not exactly A-string a characters. Um, and I did do a story where the, you know, in, in Adventures of Superman, where the Newsboy Legion met um, the uh, Danger the Danger Street Gang and the Green Team, which is which was uh, Joe Simon's uh, kid gang from the early '70s, who were just all millionaire kids. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm not necessarily going to say I would want to make a career out of writing all those characters, but I have a great joy about being able to bring those characters back and play around with them. Wow, I never even considered digging back quite that far. That, mm. Yeah. Okay, could you tell us who some of your favorite characters are that you've had a chance to draw, ink, or write? Well, uh, my, my, my top two are always the Fantastic Four. I, I just have a, a deep, deep, deep fondness for them from when I was a, a child. <clears throat> and then on the DC side, um, I, I love the Challengers of the Unknown, which obviously has a, has a certain um, similar flavor to, the, to especially the early Fantastic Four. There's a real uh, connection between those characters. Uh, um, and in the case of the challengers, I, I have to say what always appealed to me when, once I kind of noticed it was it, it really appeals to me that these guys have no powers, that they just have skill and uh, determination. And, and yeah, let, let's admit they got a pretty good lucky streak going on. Um, but but I really love the message of that. I really love the message of that, that book that you don't need to be able to uh, lift planets. You don't need to be able to fly through the sky. All you have to do is is really you know set your mind to something, and you can overcome any obstacle thrown at you. I mean, these, these are guys that if Galactus showed up, they would run towards him without a second thought. I mean, and these are guys just a little you know bit better shaped than you and me. Well, maybe a lot better shaped than me, but... But you know what I mean? So the hopefulness of that concept has always been very attractive to me. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, over the years, you've had the opportunity to be an inker, a penciler, a writer. I mean, pretty much everything but a letterer, from what I can tell. Uh, yeah, pr pretty much. Pretty much, I guess. And color. I'm, I'm a lousy colorist. I've never had a color sense. Do you have a favorite creative role? And if so, why? Um, I, I, no, I don't have a favorite creative ro role. I really like them all. Um, the, you know, I, I, I'm less comfortable penciling and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I just haven't done a lot of it in my career. I'm very, very, very slow at it. And I believe my figure work is, is, uh, mannered would be a, a very kind way of describing my figure work. Um, but I really enjoy inking and I really enjoy writing quite a bit. Um, and I find that the writing is, is very exhausting, uh, 
intellectually, emotionally, because I'm just like pouring out, you know, a lot of emotions, a lot, you know, of what people are saying and doing and how they're interacting. Um, but physically, it's not hard at all to write. But at the end of the day of writing, my mind is just mush. It's just absolute mush. On the other hand, inking, I'm, I'm, I crouched over my drawing board and I, I happened to hold my ink brush very, very tightly. And um, that's just, I guess, guess how I hold it. And uh, by the end of a day of inking, my body is aching, my shoulders hurt, you know, my, my fingers are sore, and, uh, but, my, but my mind is clear. <laughs> and, and so one really invigorates me for the other is what I'm trying to say. And I can, you know, when I'm writing, I, I can't even have, you know, uh, music on just instrumental music. Any, any sound at all like that uh, is a distraction. Um, but when I'm inking, I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to um, uh, old TV shows that I, I've already watched. Uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I've tried watching, you know, quote unquote, watching um, while while I'm inking, watching like uh, Die Hard. That's a big mistake because all there is is a lot of explosions, and you're constantly looking at the screen, going, "What just exploded?" But uh, but most TV series are really based on dialogue. And uh, even the action-oriented ones are really dialogue-heavy. And it's very, very easy, once you've already seen an episode of a TV show, at least for me, to keep drawing or inking while I'm listening to it. And I can, I can remember that, oh, that, that this scene's happening in the bar, and now he's walking towards him, and he's pulling out his gun. And, you know, you know I, I remember that. I don't have to look at it. Um, but anyways, you know, that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was perfectly fine. Okay, so it's been pointed out to me that uh, during your Daredevil run, you always seem to draw Matt smiling. Is there a particular uh, mandate for this, or did you just like well, the idea that Matt enjoys being a superhero? Well, uh, I did not draw that, first of all. Carrie Nord drew the, uh, most of those issues, uh, although towards the end I had the great honor of working uh, with Gene Colan for a few issues, um, who to me is the Daredevil artist. Um, but I, I was brought on very specifically to make Daredevil a swashbuckler again, to make him, uh, you know, uh, someone who did smile. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had no problem with that. And some, my, some of my very favorite Daredevil stories are uh, the, the Stanley Gene Colan ones, especially, especially the ones with Mike Murdoch, when Daredevil had two alternate identities, which I just found so crazy and so over the top and just so wonderful. And um, yeah, and to to this day, it's still some of my very favorite comics of all time. Okay, now I would be completely remiss if I didn't bring up Superboy. Uh, who? Uh, Super, who? Superboy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know oh, that yeah. character that comes and goes. <laughs> yeah, I have I have heard of him. Uh, could you tell us a bit about your role in his creation and uh, what sort of stories you might have had associated with the Clone of Steel? Um, well, uh, you know, it, it's, I think, pretty well documented that uh, I was brought on after they killed Superman, uh, which my father couldn't understand how I would have a job because they just killed off Superman. Um, and I was dead. It's comics. No one stays dead. Um, but, um, you know, and, and so I went to that first Superman summit. We were all supposed to bring ideas for uh, how to bring back Superman. And... Um, I had written down a number of ideas, and one of the ideas I wrote down was the idea that uh, each of the book could ha books could have a different Superman. And I, I'm actually not saying I was the first person to have this idea, because when when I walked into Carlin's office, uh, when we were all getting together to go on the retreat, uh, I heard him say, you know, 
you know, I think we're going to do something along the lines of, I think we're going to do four different Superman. I, and I, and so, and I'm not saying he got that idea from me. I, I, it just seemed to be in the zeitgeist, I think at the time. Um, and to my mind, you know, when I, when I suggested this in my little memo about what, how we could possibly bring him back, I thought each of the titles Superman could somehow reflect the title that they were in. And so I thought, well, Man of Steel, that could be a robot. There's a, there's a grand history of Superman robots. Um, and uh, action comics, well, that, that should be like, you know, the, the Siegel and Schuster Superman, you know, leaps a quarter of a mile, bursting shell, you know, all of that. Um, and, and I thought Superman, well, that would be Superman. That would actually be the real Superman. And then I was going, well, well what about Adventures of Superman? What the book I'm writing, what, what in the world, what Superman would be in that? And uh, then I remembered the old tagline, the Adventures of Superman when he was a boy. And I thought, it's Superboy. That's who's in Adventures of Superman. And um, so we all go to the, to, to the retreat. And uh, really, the first thing Carlin said is, we're going to have we're gonna have four different Supermen. Everyone, tell me ideas for different kinds of Supermen. And people started saying, saying alien, robot, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it was actually Dennis Janke, who was inking Man of Steel at the time, who said Superboy. And like I was going, no, Dennis said it before I could say it. And... Um, but, you know, it got written on the board, and then after we had, you know, who's, who knows how many. I, I, I would imagine Carlin probably still has that, you know, he, he just this huge piece of paper, tablet of paper that he would write ideas down on. I imagine he still has it somewhere, um, or at least DC does. Um, but then, then we started divvying him up, and who wants what? And um, I very quickly made a play for Superboy, and, um, you know, I knew I, knew I was really – overstepping my bounds. These were pe with people I didn't know. I mean, I knew them. I knew Dan Jurgens. Um, I knew Jerry Ordway and Jerry was there, even though he was no longer writing, writing the book. He was there kind of, you know, to hand it off to me. Um, and of course I'd heard of Wheezy and, and, and Bog and stuff like that, but I didn't know them at all. And, and, and so I was like going, well, and I, and I, I can't even remember what I said, but I made, I, I made my bid for the Superboy character. And I know it was Wheezy who just said, okay, you can have him. And that was like, Obviously, that was such a gracious gesture because, you know, Protocol would say the Man of Steel team put Superboy on the table, so they had first dibs on him. But um, but Wheezy was was a, a real sweetheart, as she always is, and uh, handed him off to me, and, and it changed my career, quite honestly. Not just your career. I mean, it it changed a lot of the Superman fandom. I'll, you know, I'll go out that far because... I mean, my buddy Travis and I, we still talk about Connell to this day. Well, that's very touching. Thank you. And he, he seems to be having a little moment in the spotlight again, which, once again, you know, when when you contribute something like that to uh, to uh, the canon of a character like Superman, um, that's, you know, I, I, don't, I have not contributed a lot to Superman, but, but a lot that has lasted. But that's something I did contribute that lasted. And, and uh, so it... it it does put a little spring in your step to think of that, yeah. Okay, so segueing over to more recent stuff. Uh, in the last few years, you've joined together with other creators to form Helioscope Studios. Could you tell us more about Helioscope? <coughs> yeah, Helioscope is a uh, a uh, art 
collective, I guess you would say, of, of a whole bunch of artists, primarily cartoonists, here in the Portland, Oregon area. And um, they're a great group of people and some of the most talented people, talented people you can ever imagine. And uh, I, I will have to say, I rarely get down to the studio in the last few years since, uh, since we uh, had, had uh, adopted our two children. Um, it just seems like that hour of, of travel uh, could be better spent either at home with the family or at the drawing board working. So I still keep in touch with them, and I see a lot of emails, and we exchange ideas that way. Um, but I have not been in the studio uh, on any regular basis for, for a while. But that does not change the fact that they're a really talented group and, and a really great group. And I have to say, uh, when I was going in, it, it was, it was, you know, I, I became aware of different parts, different segments of the cartooning community that I'd never thought about before. Like I got to know Dylan McConus and Erica Moan. And uh, both of these are not only just very, very talented and successful cartoonists in their own right, but, you know, like Erica is, is doing a whole, uh, you know, she's been wanted, she's wanted to do very, for a very long time and is now doing uh, basically sex education comic books, something that uh, she wishes was around when she was a kid. And, you know, quite honestly, she's doing a great job of it. And I'm probably going to be giving some of those books to my kids when they get to that age, because it, it covers a lot of uh, very important territory in a really accessible way. Um, but I never, you know, until I met Eric, I didn't think of that as a, um, a career path. Um, and Dylan McConus, she'd done some, you know, really astounding web comics and stuff like that and still does that sort of work. Um, and, and these, you know, these are people that were working in, Facets of the industry I was really blind to. And uh, so so going to Helioscope and meeting these people and coming to really admire and respect so many of them. Uh, in fact, I would have to say all of them. I can't think of anyone that's a member of Helioscope that uh, that I think is anything less than first rate. It, it's It's been a great experience on that level all by, itse all by itself. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing, the, especially the uh... – sex education comic books yeah it, it, she has a book out just you know called drawn to sex and it's really good for that sort of stuff really good you know and and you know librarians and and educators are like so happy this exists you know so um anyways yeah she's doing a wonderful job and she's doing an important job you know I tell a story about people jumping over buildings and hitting each other. She's like trying to save, save. She in many ways she's doing things that will save people's lives. Definitely. Okay. Speaking of uh, people jumping over buildings, though, uh, you have a Kickstarter for a new book called Impossible Jones: Grin and Gritty. Yes. What can you tell us about Impossible Jones the character and Impossible Jones the series? Well, uh, we are kickstarting, you know, a graphic novel called Grin and Gritty featuring Impossible Jones. Impossible Jones is a thief and she gains uh, something horrible happens to her. It's always something horrible. But uh, but she survives and she gets superpowers. And uh, let, 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 I'm going to rewind just a little bit. I mean, there's two reasons Impossible Jones exists. One is I really missed writing Harley Quinn. I wrote her first monthly series uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, which was so beautifully drawn, most of the issues by Terry Dodson. Um, and she, you know, 
she's just such a vibrant, li- uh, filled with life character, such a vibrant character. And I have to say, ever since I stopped writing the book, I really missed that sort of character. So I, I wanted to do that sort of character again. And then at the same time-ish, um, I literally woke up one morning and I said, I know, I know how to do Plastic Man. I know how I would do Plastic Man uh, to make him at least interesting to me. Put it that way. And uh, if you know Plastic Man, you know that his, his, his origin is he's a thief. He's on a job. He gets shot. He falls into a vat of acid, which does not dissolve him. But when he wakes up, he can stretch and he says, I have superpowers. I will fight crime. And when I woke up that morning, I realized, no, when he wakes up and realizes he has, has superpowers, he should say, I have superpowers. I'm going to get back out of the sons of the bitches that left me here for dead. And he should go after his old gang who left him behind. And so that's actually what I'm doing with Impossible Jones. I'm make, I'm, I'm getting rid of the man part. I'm making it, making it a woman. I'm, I'm giving her uh, kind of the, I, I, it's hard for me to say she has the personality of Harley Quinn because she really doesn't. But but I do want the same sort of energy to the character. And she gets her powers and she wakes up and she says, I'm going to get payback on the sons of bitches left me here behind for dead. And she goes after her, her old gang. But the problem is, from the outside looking in, she's going after criminals. And that's when someone says, you must be a superhero. And since she's a wanted criminal otherwise, she goes, yeah, I'm a superhero. And uh, she just starts, basically, it's, it's the story of this really big, long, and often very dangerous con game that she's playing with the superhero universe of characters that we have as, as her supporting players. Wow, that's just, that sounds so good. Everybody needs to be checking this out. I have to say, it's uh, it's one of those ideas that once it got in my head, I, I just had to get it out. It It just was burning a hole in my brain. Okay, so if people are interested in backing this Kickstarter, where can they find it? Well, it's, I, I try to make it as easy as possible. So all they have to do is go to impossiblekickstarter.com. That will take them right to the Kickstarter page. And they can choose from a, a wide variety of lovely re- reward levels. And it runs until July 2nd, is that correct? It, it runs until July 2nd, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So um, as we're speaking, that's you know only a handful of days away. Uh, so this is really the last push. I will admit we are not at our goal yet. We could use some help getting to our goal. I am going to beg, borrow, or steal to hit that goal somehow. Um, and, and by that I mean I'm not doing anything illegal. That was, <laughs> that was a, an expression that I used for any, like, Kickstarter F-F ethical people who are listening um uh no i mean i will do anything within my power to hit that goal because this is a book i want to get out i think i think people if they have it in their hands are really going to enjoy it and i really want to get it in their hands and uh also because david hahn is a great artist he's really really great and he's doing such wonderful wonderful work with impossible jones we've already drawn what would be the first chapter or first issue um that's all done and he's already drawn all of the second chapter or issue and we're thinking of this as a five-part story a five-chapter story so um 
So, I mean, we're, ra- we're raising the money to more or less pay our bills while we do those last three chapters. That's what we're trying to do. You hear that, folks? This book can only be made with your help. That is so true. I cannot, if I could do it by myself, it would have been done years ago. I, I cannot do it by myself. I need help. And there's a lot of people who would agree with that, that I need help. But I need a lot of help on this specific project. I need help. I, you know, I need your help. Um, you know, I, like I say, the, the important word in crowdfunding is crowd. Uh, without, without the crowd, you know, it's called venture capitalism. <laughs> so, so, no, I need uh, any and all comers. We you know, we do not discriminate by race, creed, code, or, or anything. You know. Well, I really do hope it makes it because I'm dying to read this book. I'm dying to let you read it. Believe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Carl. Well, that finishes up all of my quote-unquote professional questions. All right. But. Guests on this show do get a first-time quiz. All right. Ron Randall was subject to it, and now you get to deal with all the lovely, lovely questions as well. All right. Well, you know, I did, I did just beat Ron in a uh, uh, throwdown online where we each uh, bet bet each other uh, on who would raise a thousand dollars for their uh, Kickstarter first, and the loser had to buy the winner beer, and Ron lost. <laughs> so. So uh, if, Ron, if Ron can handle this, I think I can handle it, too. Oh, yes. But you know, just fair warning, they do get kind of uh, tricky. Okay, I, I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down. <laughs> All righty. So question number one. Here on the Coffee and Comics podcast, we do support beverage of choice, not just coffee. So what would you consider your beverage of choice? Well, I mean, generally speaking, I drink water. Um, but at night, before I go to bed, I do enjoy um, a beer or possibly a, uh, a hard cider, um, occasionally a cocktail. Uh, right now, I'm going through a big uh, sour beer phase where I really like uh, – there's a 10-barrel brewing makes a raspberry sour beer, which has a little bit of the raspberry taste, but that sour edge takes the sweetness out, and I really love it. That's my favorite drink right now. Oh, very interesting. All right. Well, that was probably the easiest one you're going to get. (laughs) Maybe I need one of those sour beers right now. (laughs) Question two. Betty or... uh, I can't say it. Betty or Veronica? Betty. Betty. Do I have to tell why? You don't have to. You can if you want to. I I don't know if I could tell you why, uh, except that's my gut reaction. Betty. Okay. Question three. Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Oh, that, now these are getting tough. Um, I have to go with Claremont Burn X-Men. Now, that, that was very, very, very influential in my early life. Okay, so question four. Which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live-action adaptation? Hawk and Dove. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> You, you were going to ask, were you going to give me a list? Oh, no, no, no. Your choice. Oh, no. I, I, I actually, uh, that, that was, I wouldn't mind seeing Hawk and Dove. But let me see if I can actually think of something that I don't necessarily have a, a dog in the fight. What would I really like to see animated? 
No, Hawk and Dove. I'm going to stick with Hawk and Dove. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. I would love to see more Hawk and Dove. Yeah. Alrighty, question five. Villain most in need of decaf. That's a very interesting question all by itself. Um, Red Skull. Oh. I don't know if Red Skull's, Red Skull's ever come up on an answer here yet. He, yeah, he just he just seems a little high strung, so. <laughs> Alrighty, so question six. Who is the best super pet? Super pet? Yes. Wow. Now now when you say super pet, do you mean any pet that has superpowers, or are you talking specifically the Superman family? No, any. Any is the whole range. Any company, um, any company, well, see, any, uh, any, any, any. <laughs> well, in in this case, I, I I do have a dog in this fight, so so to speak. Um, I would have to pick Laika, who is a member of Section Zero, ah. which is one of my creator-owned books that uh, Tom Grum and I put out a volume of through Kickstarter. And in in the Section Zero universe, Laika, who is, if you remember, the Russian space dog who died horribly up in orbit because they had no plans to ever get her down. Well, in the Section Zero universe, that did not happen. No, she was rescued, and she gained superpowers. And so Laika, the the uh, space dog, is, is a member of Section Zero, and I think that's my very favorite super pet. Wow. See, now, now you're adding stuff to my list of things I need to read, because that sounds <laughs> cool. All right, question seven. The one that stumps a lot of people. Who wins in a fight? Mighty Mouse or the George Reeves Superman? Oh. I would like to see that fight. I, I can I can see it in my head. It would be really great. Um, I'm, I go with Mighty Mouse. Any particular reason? Uh, hang on, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, cause he's, I don't know, small and agile <laughs> and his mouse like reflexes and he can sing like an opera star. Ah, I, you know, I don't know. Once again, it's all gut. It's all gut. I mean, <laughs> clearly it could go either way, but, um, I don't know. I just kind of see this like little streak of color going all around the George Reeves Superman and, and George Reeves is like in his, his brown outfit, you know, cause it's. The colors that he, you know, that outfit was brown. It wasn't red and blue. So, I don't know. I, I go Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Works for me. Okay. And the final question. All right. Would you prefer a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? <laughs> or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor? Now the quality of comics is the same in both store in both equations, right? Yes. The cheap cheap comics are not bad comics, right? right? Low priced. They're just they're just more affordable. Yes. Very expensive. Oh, you know that is a tough one. Do I have friends who could protect me from Doctor <laughs> Doom? <laughs> hmm. You know, um, gee, that's a tough one. You know, if, 
Doom owes me a favor. I probably can get some of those expensive comics. Um, you know what? I'm knowing who I am, and and looking back at my life, I I, I think I would have to go with the, the the more expensive comics and Doom owing me a favor because I I am not capable of handling someone like Doom, and 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 so. Unfortunately, I you know I would just have a much better life if Doom was not constantly trying to kill me for whatever reason. Um, so I would have to go with that. I'd have to go with Doom owes me a favor because um, that I just would not survive any other way. <laughs> oh come on! You don't want panels and panels of Doom just shaking his fist saying, "I blame Kiesel." <laughs> Well, that would be fun too. That would be—it's a hard choice, but you know. Now I don't know. It—it's it, a tough one. That's a good question. No, I do like the idea of him shaking his fist. Eh, Kiso. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very well, much. Like yes. yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's, this is very. This is a lot of fun, Clinton. A lot of fun. Oh, definitely, Carl. It has been great fun. And just a quick reminder for everybody: where can they find that Kickstarter again? It's at impossiblekickstarter.com. All right. Remember, oh. I was just going to say, remember, you know, Impossible Jones, she's using her powers for good, not evil, mostly. <laughs> yes, everyone really go out there and check it out. Look at those preview images. You'll, you'll see why you got to back this comic. Thank you very much, Clinton. Uh, thank you, Carl. I'd really appreciate it. And I will take a quick break for some promos and come back with listener feedback on the previous episode. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Atom Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Welcome back. I 
Once again, I must really give a ton of appreciation to Carl Kiesel for that interview. Thank you so much, Carl. You made this fanboy happy. And everybody, please, please, please do go out there and back that Kickstarter. We're nearing the end, and we really need this to make it to the finish line. But I promised you feedback. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of direct feedback, but there was indeed a lot of likes and shares on that interview with Ron Randall. So on Twitter, we got likes and shares from Professor Frenzy, Nathan Kelly, Anthony Joseph, Long Box of Darkness, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Dr. Multiverse, Ron Randall himself, Green Lantern HG, Carrie Crimson, Rad Adventures Network, Xenozoic Xenophiles, Between the Pages, Kirk Spencer, Relatively Geeky, DSNRS, Hi, Darren and Ruth. Aaron Henley, The North Houstonian, Iowa's Joe Crawford, Secret Wars and Beyond, J. Jones Goldstein, and Liz Ann Oswald. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Gene Hendricks, Bill Beer, Al Sedano, Michael Lane, Jerry Green, Martin Gray, Mike Peacock, Wendy Freeman, Pat Sampson, Nicholas Prom, Caleb Alexander McKenzie, Jason Albrick, and Tim Price. As I said, there was no real, you know, direct feedback, no emails, no messages, none of that, I'm afraid. But hey, that's cool too. So I will end this quickly so everybody can get out there and look at impossiblekickstarter.com. Remember, you can always check out our website, coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, and leave some messages. Or hop on Twitter and message me as well at, um, gosh, what is it? It is at coffeecomicsblg. So, just a quick reminder that until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. You know that Art Adams is a big fan of Godzilla? No. Yeah, Art Arthur Adams is a huge Godzilla fan. And uh, there was a short period when he lived here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And um, our, our local newspaper actually did, did an article about his Godzilla collection. It, because it like fills up a good-sized room that it was his studio with just all sorts of Godzilla tchotchkes and stuff. 
And uh, I was I was visiting him once, and I was looking at all this stuff, and he just seemed to have everything. And and I and, and I don't even know how we got on this, but I said, you know, Godzilla in the movies, he's a, he's a man in a rubber suit. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if someone made like a rubber Godzilla suit for like a GI Joe doll, you know, like the twelve inch tall GI mm-hmm. Joe doll? And Art just lifted a finger, one finger up in the air, and he stepped into his closet. And he came out with what I just described. <laughs> A rubber Godzilla suit sized for a 12-inch tall G.I. Joe doll. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's insane. I know. No, if, if it's Godzilla, Art has it. 